Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 205 of the Diecast Movie Podcast, and Merry Christmas. I hope everybody's having a good day and enjoying themselves on this Christmas day of 2023. I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate the holiday than playing my talk with Troy Gwynn about Scrooge from 1970, so we're doing that today. And Troy is part of the Nashi cast. He's also part of the Bloody Pit with Rod Barnett. So before we start the episode, we're going to play a little promo from the Bloody Pit. And we're also going to play a song from the Scrooge soundtrack because it is the musical version. And that way we are going to head right into it. So I hope everybody enjoys the episode and I'll see you on the other side. Bye. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. 
There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Of all the days in all the year that I'm familiar with, there's only one that's really fun. December the 25th. Ask anyone called Robinson or Brown or Jones or Smith their favorite day and they will say December the 25th. Correct. December the 25th. It is December the 25th. The dearest day in all the year. December the 25th. Correct. We're glad to see the back of all our kin and kith. But there's a date we celebrate. December the 25th. Correct. At times our friends may seem to be devoid of wit and pith. But all of us are numerous. December the 25th. Correct. December the 25th. It is December the 25th. The dearest day in all the year. History that's more than any myth. Beyond the doubt, when day stands out. Correct. I don't hear any arguments, so may I say forthwith, I wish that every day could be December the twenty-fifth. December the twenty-fifth, my dears. December the twenty-fifth, the dearest day in all the year. December the twenty-fifth, my dears. December the twenty-fifth, my dears. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the special Christmas episode of 2023 of the Diecast Movie Podcast. I hope everybody's having a great holiday and enjoying themselves, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. I hope you're having a good time with friends and family. Um, today, we're going to be, as you saw at the title card of this thing, we're going to be doing Scrooge from 1970, or Scrooge the musical from the movies, that kind of thing, with Albert Finney. And as those who might remember back from episode 182, when we did El Caminante, The Traveler, Troy Gwen was on with me, and we discussed how he had rolled foreign and musical... And it's, he picked 
El Caminante for Farn, and he picked Scrooge for Musical. And instead of making him pick between the two, we came up with the brilliant idea. We'll just do two different episodes. And we said, we well, might as well put out Scrooge when it got to Christmas time. And I thought, what better? We're releasing this on Christmas Day, 2023. And I want to welcome again to the show, Troy Gwen from the Bloody Pit, also in the band, The Secret Commonwealth. How are you doing today, Troy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to, good to see you, Stephen. And yeah, yeah, we, uh, it's amazing how many beers it took at Monster Bash to come up with, uh, to come up with this plan here, but we managed to, managed to figure it out, didn't we? Well, yeah. Well, maybe it's because maybe it's because I was sober and you were drinking. That's what took us longer. You know, if, if we both would have been, <laughs> if we both would have been on the same, uh, <laughs> level, it would have been, you know, in tune more. So it's, uh, it's always hard, but no, it was a good time. Yeah. And I, I just, and be honest with listeners, this was your first choice. You actually came up with Scrooge first. Oh, as soon as you said musical, there was no, yeah, <laughs> there was no hesitation yeah, uh, on what film to talk about. The foreign one was a little bit trickier because me being also a Godzilla fanatic, I think the first thing I went to was got to talk Godzilla, but then I thought I kind of went to Nashi because, you know, Godzilla is probably the biggest of his popularity maybe ever, you know, right now. I mean, it's Godzilla's very much in the public view and Paul Nashi always needs more, more eyes on, on his work. So uh, I just want to start to go with Paul Nashi and, and Hey, came up with El Comandante compared now with Scrooge. I mean, Hey, two Christmas movies at the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Well, definitely. Yeah. Definitely two versions of a, of a character that is not liked. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but one is redeemed and one is not. And and since then, because we had a movie you were talking about was the Godzilla film. We have now since done a Godzilla film. Linda Miller joined me. We did Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr. So even Godzilla's yeah. now been Good. now into the, 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 that franchise has been started on the podcast. So we've all, all yeah, of them are was, now being hit. <laughs> and that was a good place to start. That was, that was where you should start from the first, from the beginning. So yeah, that was, that's great. That's great. Oh yeah, and it was it was Linda's first time seeing the movie. You know, she had seen oh, she had wow. seen Gojira at one of the conventions she was at, but it was her first time seeing the Raymond Burr film, and yeah. uh, so it was yeah. interesting to get her input and also having her lived in Japan for a number of years, so she was oh, wow. able to talk about things in a different way. So that was it was pretty cool. And listeners, you can go yeah. back to, you know to our archives and listen to that episode. Like I said, episode wow. one eighty two, we did El Caminante, and then. I can't remember exact episode number, but it's between 182 and 200 is when we talked about Godzilla King of the Monsters. Right. But before we get into that, what have you been up to? How have you been doing since we last had you on the show? Oh, doing, doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, busy, um, you know, um, for Rod and I, for the Nashi cast, we got to uh, do the, uh, uh, audio commentary for Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, which uh, uh, was released by Mondo Macabro. I think it's, uh, well, it's been, it's had, they've had a couple of, as of our recording right now, I think they've had a couple of quick sales for the Blu-ray, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's completely out yet. I think it's going to be our early part of, of next year before it's streeted, but they've had the pre-sales for it. But uh, that was one we were really excited to get to do. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, just uh, doing the uh, rod between the Bloody Pit and the Nashi cast, you know, just, just trying to get some, uh, uh, episodes up wherever we can. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm not on every episode of Blade Pit, but I'm on there quite a bit. We've got our Universal Horrors of the 40s series going on that, and so we're uh, uh, taking us a few years to get through that. We're working on it several years now, and I, we're still up to I think maybe about 1944, so still got a ways to go. But that's been that's been really entertaining to kind of shed some light on some of those lesser known Universal 40s movies. 
and then with my two main bands, the Exotic Ones, which is a horror rock band, and uh, with the Secret Commonwealth, my Celtic band, uh, keeping busy with those, the Secret Commonwealth, we're almost finished uh, recording our fifth album, um, and so hoping to get the, all that tracks done, know that, and get it to the mixing stage, hopefully get it out uh, in the first, maybe the first uh, half of, of uh, 2024. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much been the focus of, you know, just we've gotten, you know, COVID is still out there, but at least we've gotten past it enough and things have calmed down enough that, you know, we can get pretty regular shows and play. Uh, so that's just been uh, great to have that. That was a tough, that was tough uh, downtime when that happened, not having, I was used to playing several shows a month and then you kind of just get that taken away. But you find ways to work around it. I, I found, you know, I did a lot of songwriting in that time and we streamed a couple of shows, but. Uh, you find a ways to get through it. Watch a lot of movies. You get to watch a lot more movies and do a lot more reading. You just discover. I've, I've noticed how much my movie watching and reading and all that stuff now that things are kind of back to normal, you know, so to speak. Uh, how 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 much that time is starting to and my podcast listening. You know, I've got your Godzilla King of the Monsters on my list of my long list of podcast episodes. Oh, I got to get to that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, finding finding the time, I find the people that get to listen to podcasts a lot are usually the ones who have a, like you know a lot of people who kind of drive. I have a long drive to work or, or, or drive, uh, or do driving for a, a living and that sort of thing, you know, get to, get to listen to, uh, I'll do a lot more podcast listening. It does make traveling go a lot easier when you have something to listen to and you can vary it up, yeah. you know, with, um, different podcasts that are out there and there's so many good ones to pick from. Um, it's hard to say like which one to go to this and that. And of course, you know, one of the things people can always do is look at the movies you're talking to, the people are talking about. If you're interested in that movie, it's always good to give a different podcast to try there because you already know, okay, yeah. I'm interested in this movie or I've seen it. Let me see what their mm -hmm. views are of it. And then if you're like, oh, I enjoy that, then you can go back and do the other stuff because you'll be doing Universal probably for the intermittent amount of times you do it for the rest of the decade at least. <laughs> yeah, at the pace we move, yeah, we at the pace we're moving, uh, yeah, it's good because we're including all the Sherlock Holmes that was a decision we had to come to do. We want to do the battle rap on Sherlock Holmes, but a lot of them do have horror elements. And so we decided that, especially as you get deeper into the series, they, uh, they really start to get that feel. So, so we decided to include those. And, and so that added a whole bunch of films to, to what we've got to cover. Uh, the inner sanctum films, things like that add a lot. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be at it a while, but it's, it's been a, it's been a real fun series to do. I've gotten to see things I've never seen before. And, and that's been, and, and we've come across a couple of real gems, you know, that in that, uh, so yeah. That's great. And speaking of real gems, this was my first time seeing Scrooge 1970 was for this uh -huh. podcast. Wow. So that's I, great. And I like musicals and I, uh, I like the, the tale, you know, the Christmas story, you know, the tale of it, the Christmas tale, I'm sorry, you know, where it goes through mm -hmm. the Dickens version. I don't, I've not seen even close to all the versions that are out there, you know, because I don't know if you could, there's so many. There, there are tons of them. I mean, I, it, I know some people, there's some friends of mine that, that are very well-versed in all of the Dickens, the Scrooge Dickens and stuff like that. And I've seen, I've seen probably a handful of them and I enjoy the story, but it's not one where I constantly watch every year. Like some people do it like a yearly tradition. They watch a whole bunch of the different ones, but I do like it when I get to see something that is different and in, in, uh, from the other ones. And this one is definitely yeah different than the rest in a good way yeah 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 i think it does really stand yeah true it's it's i think that the idea of doing a musical i think it, it being a musical really uh really lends itself great to the story it's trying to tell um but the, you know the film is is certainly i think it's still a um 
underrated, underseen. I mean, I think it's it's kind of the respect for it. I think like like so many films, you know, kind of gradually begins to grow over the years. You know, as more people see it, they expose their friends to it and their children. And I've certainly shown it to a lot of people who've never seen it before, and and usually to really strong, you know, favorable opinions, you know, re- reactions. But uh, but I think it's still a, a highly highly underrated uh, version of the of the story. Uh, you mentioned how many versions there are. There's, I don't, I haven't looked for it in a while, but I, out on YouTube there was once somebody who had taken, who, who were telling the entire story of Christmas Carol, and every single line was was taken from a different source. You know, some of them from radio recordings, some of them from movies, some of them were from so many TV shows that have done kind of their own version or take on the Christmas Carol, just sitcoms, things like that. I mean, it ended up being hundreds of different sources that they that they used to tell the entire story. It's really amazing that they what they did putting it together, but it also just kind of blows your mind to how how many times that story's been referenced and, and retold. And I think that just goes when you have classic source material, it works so well, and 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 it's even been utilized in in other things. Um, the episode mm-hmm. that came out prior to this, Cash on Demand, that Alistair and I talked about for Hammerama uh, on our show, you know, has elements from the Dickens story. So it's, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it's virtually idiot proof, you know, for somebody to be able to yeah. take it and screenwrite it and incorporate it in as a, as a storyline. Right. But at the same time, it can also work kind of detrimental to trying to get people to watch it. Because the story is so ingrained in, in everyone's mind, everybody knows it, that sometimes it doesn't drive them. To, they know it so well. And I that, it, it doesn't always drive them to see, oh, why do I want to see then another version of this story when I can just go back to the one that I consider the best or the classic. And, and so, so you know, in a way that can kind of work against, you know, what you're trying to do with this, with the story. But, but the basic message, if you, if you want to boil that story down to one word, uh, redemption works as well as any. And redemption is certainly one of the greatest plot devices or story themes that drives so many movies and so many stories you know, and that, and that that's the ultimate kind of redemption story is, is Christmas Carol. And I think everybody wants redemption, you know, like I, I think most people think, Oh, if I would have did this differently, that differently, everybody thinks they did, but even if it's their own perception that they did something wrong and it's not really there, everybody always wants to think they can redeem themselves if they did something Absolutely. egregious. And the story just falls right in line with that. What, I know you talked about you've seen this countless times, but what drew you to the 1970 version of Scrooge? Because you and I obviously were not seeing it when it was out in theaters in 1970, because I would have been like oh. two years old. I'm sure oh, you, you know you probably oh, no, I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm 57, so I'm, I, I saw it uh, I saw it when I was four years old. It came out the theater. My my, my family's one of my most vivid theatrical experiences uh my it was playing at the theater and then my family went and uh i just remember uh myself and my cousin Rhonda, rest her soul uh lost, lost we lost her in 2009 but she we were a uh, great we were very close growing up and she and i were sitting next to each other in the theater uh she was uh i believe one year older than i was uh and uh, we were both just uh just, just you know, getting in the film and just being totally scared to death in the scary scenes because the film that's you know one of the many things it does well is 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 is, is it, it gets pretty creepy and, and we were we were cowering in our seats at some of those parts. And I, remember, I, I just have this vivid memory of her turning to me at one point saying, "This film is so scary," but we were loving it. And maybe of course, me being a budding already at that point, having watched some monster movies on TV and already being a a monster kid and just eating up with that stuff. 
I loved being scared. I mean, that made me want to see, you know, I was one of those people that like a horror fans where you get scared and you, it, it's a thrill and you want to come back for more, you know, you want to, you want to see more of that. So that kind of earned my instant respect for the film and then, yeah, and uh, interest. And of course, um, <clears throat> then it was just a, probably not long after that, I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to see if I could research when it made its television debut, but I'm sure it was not long after the theatrical run that it started becoming, you know, a, a, a staple on network television at Christmas time. And I probably never, I, I know that once they started showing it on television, I've not missed a Christmas since. So uh, just do the math. I saw when I was four, I'm 57. And there's even been a couple of, there's even been occasional seasons when I've watched it twice. I do watch it every season. Um, it's actually a ritual of me and uh, several of my friends that, that love the film. Uh, we always get together and watch it in time in December. So, I can say I, I, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but I could tell you that I've probably seen it, um, you know, upwards now of fifty times, and maybe even upwards of sixty. Uh, that's why I call it my favorite film. You know, what defines a favorite film more than the one that you return to the most and never get tired of? And so, so, uh, so, yeah. For all my other crazy interest in esoteric and <clears throat> transgressive and horrific film and and genre film and all that, when it comes down to it, yeah, that's 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 this this this. Christmas musical is, is the top of my top of my list. And obviously, because your youthful looks, I, I underestimated your age. So, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm a fossil. I'm a fossil, and I admit it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it it happens. We we you know, hey, what can you say? You look great for your age. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Fossilize is grace. That's my that's my uh, that's my motto. Maybe you have a picture in the attic somewhere, you know, and that kind of stuff, which. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. One of the things when you when you said this to me in Monster Bash about doing it, that as soon as you said Albert Finney, you you had me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, yeah. just I love Albert Finney. Yeah. I remember the Annie, yeah. um, Big mm-hmm. Fish. You know, those are just certain things. You know, you, you, I saw I've seen him in musicals before. I've seen him in a plethora of drama, dramatic roles, and I know you're always going to get a very well acted scene. And I thought it was interesting because. I was thinking, wait a minute, this is 1970, and he's playing Scrooge. So he's yeah. he's a young man. He's he's like in his early 30s, and here he's playing somebody that's, I guess, supposed to be in their late 60s, 70s. It's hard to say, you know, mm-hmm. how old yeah. is Scrooge back then. And the makeup and his acting for the role, you don't realize that he's so much younger. I think it's an incredible performance. So yeah, that's as good a place to start as any time of this film because that's what that's what for all the good things it does. That he's at the heart of it, and he's what drives it. His opportunity's incredible performance again. Just uh, I'd like to say underrated, although I was happy to see that he did actually uh, win the Globe, Golden Globe for this film uh, for best actor in a musical or comedy, which I did not realize until we were getting ready for the show and I was looking up some of that. I I, I didn't realize that I, that the film that he had even gotten that recognition. But um, I'll, I'll just tell you the it's evidence of the power of his performing is I, for years, of course, again, saw it at such a little, at such a young age, but I just assumed it was two different actors playing the young Scrooge and the older Scrooge. It wasn't until a few years later, starting to see on TV that I realized that it was Albert Finney. It was the young, that that was Albert Finney at that time with the young man. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's not just, it's not just the makeup is great, but it's just an incredible physical performance. I mean, the way he talks, the way he moves, the way he, Stands and, and just his entire, I mean, he just conveys his age and, and the character perfectly. Uh, and uh, the contrast between himself and as a young man is startling, but 
again, just underscores all the things the story needs to tell you, you know, is, is uh, how weathered and, and, and beaten and, and, and just shriveled up on himself this, this, this man has become until he's, you know, and it's great because even when he cuts loose at the end of the film, and the great thing about talking about a film like this is we don't have to worry about spoilers because, again, everybody knows the story, so we don't have to worry about anything yes. like that. But he cuts loose at the end of the film. He still dances and moves like an old man, and he and he shows himself being out of breath and, like, having back trouble and all that, but he's having just a great time. Uh, just, yeah, it's just brilliant performance. It really is. And Finney is, is, Finney is fantastic. He really was, a, was an incredible actor. Yeah, because at the end you start to think when he's dancing, when there's so, so much frolicking and dancing around, you start to realize, like, wait a minute, is he going to have a heart attack? Is this going to go real dark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just when he's made the turn, it's like, oh, it's like, oh man. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to happen, but it was like in the back of my mind. It was just like, yeah. Hey. Yeah, the untold part of the story, he goes home and has a heart attack. You know, he's found later dead in his own, you know, because he takes too, too much exertion. <laughs> yeah, the morning after, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, why was it? Oh, poor, everything bad happened. Why? Because Scrooge ended up, you know, gave everybody that great day, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> December 26th came around, and alas, it didn't go well for old Scrooge. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bob Cratchit got to work the next day and just found it. And open knocking on the door, and nobody answers. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the things I want to go back to the makeup a little bit, and not only I, I agree with you, his like I said earlier, his acting performance is spot on for playing the elder and the younger Scrooge. But to go to the makeup, not just the old age makeup, but the one scene where he you look at his fingernails and his fingers, yeah, and how mm-hmm. dirty they are, the stuff under the nails, the 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 grime or the ink marks or the grime or whatever on his hands. And it was just, you know, you don't see that as much in films back, no. even back then, or especially nowadays. So it's like, they'll do the, the, um, the face and the neck mm-hmm. and they might age up the hands. But I, the thing that a lot of them would be missing is, is he was definitely somebody didn't look like he bathed regularly. It didn't look like he was doing yeah. any kind of hygiene. Cause it was like, it's not worth the money. It's not worth it. You can only imagine if it was smell vision, what it would smell like to be near this Ebenezer. It'd be like, whoo, you know, it would have to be something. Right, right. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, the, the dirty fingernails, I notice them all the time. I always think about that. I think, what a great touch. What a great attention to detail. You know, and says all you need, says so much about the character, and then you can extend that to uh, the incredible art direction in the film and, and, uh, and, and his particular dwelling there. I mean, I've never seen any other version that's so conveys how you put perfectly where Ebenezer Scrooge, what his house would look like. I mean, nothing in there, no decorations, you know, uh, functional, nothing but just the most functional furniture, everything tattered and cobwebs. I mean, anything that didn't have anything to do with just profit. There was no interest. It's, it's, it's like he's living in a mausoleum. Uh, and I think mausoleums are better decorated than, his, than Scrooge's house was. Yeah. It was the ultimate utilitarian or you, you whatever. Um, Utilitarian, utilitarian. Mm, utilitarian. Yeah, ut- yeah, yeah, and you know, because everything yeah. has to have a function. If it has no function beyond mm-hmm. basic necessity, it was mm-hmm. or or keeping his money safe. It was yeah. uh, it was useless to him, you know, or, you know, or keeping yeah. track of the money. That was just about even burning the little yeah, even the little tallow that he used to, you know, the little wick that he used to light his fire with. You know, notice how meticulously just just enough to light his fire and make sure he put it out and put it back. You can tell he was saving those, you know, say making those wicks last forever, even though, I mean, how much could they have cost? But it just, you know, that's not how Scrooge thinks. It's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it adds up as we all know, you know, 
<laughs> every little yes. bit, every penny, every shilling or whatever, um, d- d- does add up to the thing. And we get how he was, like you said, walking around, how he was singing, how he was looking at things and doing stuff, the lack of eye contact or the lack of reaction, this, the normal type things was, it was very well done. But the very beginning of the movie, it sets up this storybook image of what to expect. This this storybook play as the title sequencing is going on and you're seeing this beautiful artwork and it's just setting you up for this magical storybook experience that you're going yeah. to go through with the music playing and you see those things and it's just like, it really sets the stage for what to expect. And then for those that haven't seen this before, the poster even tells you right off the bat in nice letters with, I think with something to this effect of what in the Dickens have they done to Scrooge? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's going to be something totally different to what to go, what you're going into. And I think those storyboards are the artwork was just amazing. And with the music going with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And then it segues then when it kind of changes transitions into the actual street scene and you're just seeing these gorgeous these amazing sets, man, and, and the cinematography, and, and I, it was the same. They had just they, had, they you know they they got to use the sets and uh, costumes and the same cinematographer, uh, I believe, from Oliver that they filmed, and so they already had these sets and costumes all kind of ready to go, ready made. But everything is just lit so wonderfully and 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 shot so the film just glows, uh, uh, and 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 it carries across in the gray and gloomy and kind of the conveying the poverty of, of which a lot of other versions of Scrooge also don't do very as effectively of doing, you know, I think this film for all of its wonderful music and all of its, uh, the joy and fun in the story. I think it's, it's one of the better versions I think for kind of getting across to you without just making it too heavy handed and harsh and depressing, getting across to you the, 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 what people are going through in London at that time and what Dickens saw that drove a lot of Dickens writing was he was very compassionate for the living conditions that so many people had to go through. And even, in the scene of the, the, the Cratchits, you know, is as likable. And, and you can tell they're still trying to, they still have to work to keep their spirits up. That's what Bob Cratchit has to do. That's his job is to keep his family's spirits up in the, uh, in the, in the face of their, you know, relentless, you know, poverty that they're living in. Yeah. And it's just, and also working for somebody like he is working for, they're, they're making, he's making money way below what he should be making. And if, and has, Lots of children going through. I think this movie, again, not having seen a ton of them, but the ones I have seen, this definitely shows more of the town, more of the city that you're in, more of the people. It does focus on the, uh, the, the how you get the, the more of a feel of what's going on with everybody. Because it starts off with this, you know, the street urchins, Father Christmas song, you know, and and how to and the yeah. encounter with Ebenezer going on at that little that little. Blimey, who's in? That's Father Christmas. Please, Father Christmas. And he sends his best to you too, Christmas gifts and 
Christmas. We'll be just as mean as it's ever been, and I'm here to say we should all send Father Christmas on his merry Christmas way. He's a rascal! He's a bandit! He's a crafty one, leave your door undone and go in your house! And sell it! It's a crime! It's a scandal! What's a game? For a man gone to play on Christmas Day! If you don't try! battle so to speak of wills yeah. and uh-huh. and you got and then you have the other people that scrooge has lent money to and he's going around to him so you're meeting all these store people who do come back later on in their little bit parts and mm-hmm. which 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 we'll talk about later which leads to to me to one of the greatest songs in the whole movie and how it's utilized it's just oh it's just yeah. it's just spectacular yeah <laughs> and, and now the songs though are interesting. I'm, I'm going to ask you your opinion. Some of them are to me are like spot on, you know, really good. But but there's a few of them that were a little bit. I was just like, ah, hey, you know, it's just they were just to me. I was a little underwhelmed. I was expecting more. I probably don't. I probably don't really have an objective opinion at this point because so much they're all ingrained now into the. You know, if I was trying to look at them objectively, I mean, certainly the standouts are uh, December the twenty fifth, and then uh, um, uh, so of course, obviously, thank you very much. That's the one that you know everybody remembers. But um, you know, uh, I, of course, I mean, I think I hate people is just a hilarious song, and so written. You know, uh, Rod, that's Rod's anthem. Rod always like turns out that's you know that's, that's well, that's, that's so Rod. That. <laughs> that's so Rod. It's so Rod. Yes. Uh, um, but, uh, and of course the magic of the story is, is people know there's, there's times in our lives and we can identify with that song. You know, there's, there's, you know, we all have those moments, you know, they, and, uh, so there's moments where there's a little bit of Scrooge in all of us. And, uh, um, probably the ones, I mean, probably, probably his, I guess, um, maybe in initially his, uh, the, the, the songs that the love songs, I guess that that would be you know, kind of the back and forth song between him and his love interest when he was young, you know, might be the ones that could be said to be uh, maybe the, the, the least interesting, uh, you know, maybe the most, I hate to use the word forgettable. Again, like I said, I'm probably not an objective listener, but I do find when I, I've always, one thing I've always felt about this film is that the music was highly underrated when I've, uh, I, you know, re- reading reviews at the time and reviews of over the years, it seems like so many of them kind of give, I think they usually say, you know, thank you very much is the standout song and everything else is, I mean, they really kind of just write off the rest of it as, as bland or forgettable. And I've never felt that was fair. I mean, to me, I think not only is the, the music, I think very well written and, and effective songs, but uh, I, you mentioned something about, you know, uh, the, you know, what the song's being utilized. So it's so effectively later in the film is that's one of the things about 
this music is, I think, several of the songs. I think the placement of the music and the way that some of the songs pop up again in different contexts, which is what a musical, the best musicals can do, and not all of them do as well, but I think it's very effective the way that, that songs heard, heard, like Father Christmas, for example, when we first heard it in, early in the movie, it's sardonic, it's it's mocking, you know, it, it, it's a reflection on, like you said, the war between Scrooge and these urchins, who, by the way, you know, if you look closely at it, if you think about it too much, you realize, yeah, these kids are living on the streets and doing God knows what to survive, you know, they're, they're homeless, orphans. Uh, but uh, but that song, then Father Christmas, turns up in the final, you know, jo- joyful finale, turns up again and has a completely different meaning. And uh, I think it does that with several songs in the film uh, that's used it very effectively. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the soundtrack, I'll, I'll say it. And uh, I think Leslie per- Leslie Percus did a great job on the music. And I would love to see... I would love to see this film get a really nice, you know, vinyl treatment, you know, really nice re-release, uh, remaster re-release. You know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but uh, there are so many companies doing wonderful vinyl releases and looking for stuff to do that I would, I would really hope, just as I hope it's some of the Paul Nashy soundtracks someday get a, a, uh, a, a good treatment. I would love to see Scrooge get a really nice vinyl release of the soundtrack. So, yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a fan. I definitely am. You know, I don't, I don't agree with, the people that say that the music is mostly forgettable, but but you're right. There are certainly some some songs that stand out more than than others that that stick in your mind and are really the, the most clever. I think the the thought of Christmas one was was good. I enjoyed that one a lot. But mainly mm-hmm. when got, you know, of course, it had the interaction between Scrooge and the boys, and that ties in with I hate people, because that was mm-hmm. the first. That was like the first one I was really like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is setting up the template of what Scrooge is like to start the movie, you know, boom, yeah, I hate yeah. people. And song in a way, similar to like what Richard Burden would sing Camelot, you know, with mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the, the, the speaking version of singing and, and, and going through with it. And it was done really well. Cause you're seeing Scrooge go through the town as he's mm-hmm. doing it. So it sets, it sets up everything. And I think that was one of the nice things about virtually all the numbers is that it is set as a, as a good musical would have it in the proper format and you got the people interacting in the mu- as, as they do in musicals, you know, you got to suspend a little disbelief when you see people starting to dance in the background and that kind of stuff. I mean, it is, you know, it, it's, it's sure, the nature sure. of that genre, which I love. Scavengers and sycophants and flatterers and fools. Pharisees and parasites and hypocrites and ghouls, calculating swindlers, prevaricating frauds, perpetrating evil as they roam the earth in hordes, feeding on their fellow men, wreaking rich rewards, contaminating everything they see, corrupting honest men like me. Heidenberg! I hate people. I hate people. People are despicable creatures, loathsome, inexplicable creatures, good for nothing, kickable creatures. I hate people. I abhor them. When I see the indolent classes sitting on their indolent asses, gulping ale from indolent glasses, I hate people. I detest them. I deplore them. 
Fools who have no money spend it, get in debt, then try to end it. Beg me on their knees, befriend them, knowing I have cash to lend them. Soft-hearted me, hard-working me, clean living, thrifting, and kind as can be. Situations like this are of interest to me. I hate people, I loathe people, I despise and abominate people. Is full of cretinous wretches earning what their sweatiness fetches. Empty minds whose pettiness stretches further than I can see. Little wonder, I hate people, and I don't care if they hate me. The one that to me doesn't work as well is the one Tiny Tim sings. And it could be because oh. of his singing or whatever. But when it gets to that part, I'm just like, yeah, this this is a weak one. <laughs> well, and, and uh, the, one of my favorite, you know, the line that tracks people up, one of the favorite lines is that goes to Christmas present. You know, uh, once, once they see the scene of Tiny Tim, they're watching. He says, just crazy. He says, what an unpleasant child. <laughs> and uh, I think that it's almost like they anticipate the fact that sometimes the kids are just going to be audiences are just not going to react well to a super cute kid that you know yeah you know i hadn't even thought about that song because yeah that that's not one of the musical high points there it's it's a little saccharine you know it's probably the point of the film that that's the scene that where maybe you know where it it does get a a a little a little too sappy um but i think but i think the humor then that that's immediately after that it's great the way that um the ghost of Christmas present just, you know, kind of cuts through that, 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 that syrupiness, you know, by just saying what an unpleasant child. <laughs> yeah. It's just a great line. It's really funny. Oh, I agree. It, it helps out. It, it was just, it's it just to me, I was enjoying the film and that the kind of, I knew it was coming because you just, yeah. you just know it's a musical. Okay. It's tiny Tim's moment. It's coming. Cause they already brought up about how he was singing before and he was caroling, which we didn't see. It was, a, a, I was like, okay, yeah. they, they set it up. There's going to be a song. And they build it up, and it's it's and it's one of those songs you get in musicals on occasion where it's just everybody's watching the one person sing. So it's, it's mm-hmm. so it could be a song that's on in almost any movie because it doesn't fit the normal musical type tradition. Right. And I think that's yeah. I think it would have helped maybe if there would have been maybe some different lyrics and a little more motion going mm-hmm. on with him and the family. Maybe if it would have been him doing the lead and the family or the other children in the mm-hmm. family singing in some supporting roles. It might have flowed better if it was reworked a little bit. Uh, maybe because it, it would have probably made a little less sugary as you just brought up. You know, it, it could have it could have been tweaked a little, but it's, it's a nit. It's a nitpick. It's just, it's, I'm not saying well, it's, it's just, it, to me, it, it was a little thing that did hurt the movie. It's the only thing that really hurt the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, it would, it would, it would, you know, I would have no problem with it being left off the soundtrack album. Let's put it out that way. But once again, even that song is used effectively later when we see Cratchit uh, standing over Tim's grave and we just end in the cemetery and we hear that same song come through dropped in as just a song in the background and it actually has kind of an eerie, mournful 
kind of sound to it. So even that piece of music is is does have an effective use, I think, later later on because that scene is is you know is, is definitely a, a poignant one. Well, a rework song would have did the same thing. You know, something. I yeah. just I'm just saying is it it just needed some yeah, tweaking. Exactly right. it, yeah, yeah. The whole recording, you're right. The whole recording of the song, it's not like watching the other scenes in the in the music movie where they they do happen in the way that you expect in musicals. Yeah, you know, where people just kind of sing their emotions and sing what they're feeling, and and everybody's in on it and 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 kind of joins in. Uh, or it yeah. could just be, I don't really care for the the boys singing. You know, it's just, <laughs> well, yeah. it could be I'm, that. I'm, I mean, it's hard to see. you can't separate. Yeah, yeah. I'm in agreement with you on that too. So, you know, it, it, I mean, he does fine. I mean, the Tiny Tim is a small role. It, it's not like it's a big mm-hmm. thing. And I was just like, and, but they had tons of children. I'm thinking, boy, the guys that are all doing the Father Christmas stuff are doing good stuff. And these people are doing good stuff. Uh-huh. And then you hit Tiny Tim. I'm like, man, if you could have just subbed one for another, <laughs> we might have yeah, had, yeah. had a winner, winner chicken dinner. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it might have been more endearing if he had done more of a kind of a cockney fun sort of song or something as a kid, because, you know, you're, you're, you're already, you, you know, you, you already have sympathy for the Cratchits and for the story of Tiny Tim and losing a kid and all a child. So you don't have to work too hard to make audiences feel sorry for them. You don't want to do something to make them like, <laughs> to think I like the ghost, what an unpleasant child, you know? So they, they might've been better if they had him uh, not quite so angelic and maybe a little, little bit more urchin-like or a little bit, do something a little more, uh, Humorous, but yeah, I, I've not thought about that really before, but I think you make a good point about that for sure. Yeah, and uh, but otherwise, like I said, the rest of the stuff. I mean, the songs are different levels, and to me, the mm. the four songs that I think are like bang, bang, bang. You know, like I, I think are the, one right. of them you already mentioned. It was not. It was nominated for an Oscar. You know, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. December the twenty fifth, which mm-hmm. listeners would have already heard that. Because that's that song was going to be entering before we had started our discussion, so they've already would have heard December the twenty fifth, so they'll know exactly what we're talking about. And um, I like life, and I hate people. I just like the I like yeah. life song. It's just it just has that comedic thing going on with it, and it just applies. Mm-hmm. And as you said, a lot of these songs are brought back, like Father Christmas, I like life, thank you very much, have one meaning in one part, and then they're used again later on. And thank mm-hmm. you very much. I think is the one that has the most 180 of the songs, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, and I oh. love it that to set people up. Thank you very much is sung by the townspeople, and it's mm-hmm. set, it's with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And there's they're at Scrooge's house. Scrooge doesn't realize what the future has happened yet, and which is basically that he's dead. They're celebrating he's dead. He misses seeing the coffin getting carried out of his house, put on his thing, and they're singing "Thank you very much" because he died, and and, yeah, and he's yeah. and I love it. He never ever got in on the joke, like what they were doing. He no. never knew what the the whole time he thinks they love him, and he's just dancing along with them, singing it along with them, and how I, I thought for sure. Oh, now they're going to tell him. Now they're going to show yeah. him, and I'm like. Oh, no, he never did. Later when he's in the cemetery and you saw yeah. Bob Cratchit seeing Tiny Tim, I thought for sure that the end of the thing, they were going to have the people starting to come in with his coffin, you know, like in the oh, background. Yeah. And I thought that you were going to hear this, thank you very much. And that's when they're going to be, that, that's when he's going to realize, oh, they're going to, he's going to see his thing and he's dead. He yeah. did see his grave, but it's yeah. like, I was just, I was expecting that to be when he was in on it. 
And uh, so part of me is like, that would have been funny as all get out, you know, him realizing. And the other part, it's like, it's so good that he never knew. So I, I like both ways. I, I, I like to, I would, yeah. I would have been happy if he would have found out, but I think it's better that he never knew the whole time the song is going on. And then later in the movie, everybody's singing it because now they are thanking him very much because he's had that change of heart. And it, and he's actually, so I think because of that ending, it's probably better. He never got in on the joke. On behalf of all the people who have assembled here, I would merely like to mention, if I may, that our unanimous attitude is one of lasting gratitude for what our friend has done for us today. And therefore, I would simply like to say... Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. I may sound double Dutch, but my delight is such. I feel as if a losing war's been won for me. And if I had a flag, I'd hang me flag at to add a sort of final victory touch. But since I left me flag at home, I simply have to say thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. It sounds a bit bizarre, but things the way they are. I feel as if another life's begun for me And if I had a cannon, I would fire it To add a sort of celebration touch But since I left me cannon at home I simply have to say Thank you very, very, very much Thank you very, very, very For these are Johnny Cabella For these are Johnny Cabella For these are Johnny Cabella Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. It is an everyday. Good fortune comes me way. I never thought the future would be fun for me. And if I had a bugle, I would blow it to wear a sort of as your father's touch. Thank you very, very, very much. 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 In fact, it looks so bright, I feel as if they're polishing the sun for me. And if I had a drum, I'd have to bang it, to add a sort of rumpty tumpty touch. But since I left me drummer at home, I simply have to say, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very,
Yeah, and I would, but but I do think your idea of how they could have revealed it to him is a great one, though. That's very clever. I, that would have been fun, you know. But it is it is it is touching because I mean, or it is poignant because he says to the spirit, he says, "You've shown me a Christmas that mixes great happiness with great sorrow, but what's to become of me?" Never realizing that the what scene he found great happiness was related to him. And 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 uh, you're right. The, the first use of that song, that whole scene is great because it's so funny, but it's so kind of almost shockingly morbid uh, for, I mean, uh, and, and it's again, one of the things that always makes this film stand out to me as the best of all the versions of Christmas Carol that I've seen, they take into account there's still hundreds that I haven't, but of the many, many I've seen that this is the best because, you know, because it doesn't shy away from the darkness as, and it does a wonderful job of conveying the joy and embracing the, the beautiful things in the redemption, but it, uh, it doesn't shy away from, as I said before, the, the poverty of the people and just their bitterness and uh, and 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 again the guy just like this is this scene is you know gallows humor you know taken to the nth degree and and it's so effective and funny uh, but uh, yeah yeah it's so so well done it's great you're right because he never knows he, he's just joy dancing along with him and then he kind of sees this spirit oh I forgot about you well you're going to show me something important because yeah you know the spirit's just in there thinking this guy's not getting it at all yet. <laughs> <That one's fun. laughs> And, and of course, the spirit can't talk, and um, yeah, right. and that kind of thing. But I just thought it was so well done. And now I'm thinking, if they would have done it the way I was suggesting, like like I was not suggesting, but expecting, I kept expecting that yeah. to happen. Yeah. As humorous and as funny as that would have been, it would have changed the tone of the movie. It would have, and that's why I think it's yeah. better that they didn't do it. But if they were, if, if they ever remake this and are going for a comedy, you like more more the, mm. the comedy movie. That's gold, you know, having them there as soon as he goes like have it, and then he realizes it's like, you know, because all you have to do is have the ghost of Christmas yet to come, just like kind of like look in the direction, and then you could hear the, the music as they're coming in with the procession. <laughs> that would have been like <laughs> Scrooge goes over to find out what's going on, and then realizes, what? <laughs> That's what they really think of me. Oh no, you know, which yeah, and and it's helpful that you know there's there's people that that pass away and um and, and you'll see people oh it couldn't happen to a nicer one I'm glad they're you know so it's it is something mm. that is um, some people deservedly you could make an argument deservedly do that need that or whatever but it's, it's the humanity part of me even I'm always just like well you know there are people that did care about that person and I feel sorry for yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, I know what you mean. Occasionally, there are the the people that yeah, and you you know when people pass, you think boy the world's all better off without them but you do have to need to remind yourself that somebody somebody somewhere did love that person you know and then somebody's feeling the loss so yeah good to good to remind ourselves of that you know too so but i can see where that song got the nomination though i think i don't know i think december the 25th and i like like i don't know some of those other songs could have been i think were more into the movie this one that this thank you very much is definitely the most um crowd pleasing you know like the but yeah. the other ones might fit more tonally or father christmas for that matter i mean there's I don't know, there's a lot of songs that are enjoyable so it's hard to say which one should have gotten nominated uh for mm-hmm. it i mean some movies get more than one you know and they could have had more yeah. i'd have to look at the list and see what it was up against at that time and, and see what actually right. did win yeah i didn't i did not uh, look that up either so that would be curious to know for sure yeah now we kind of jumped around a little bit here, but I mean, mm-hmm. I think most people are familiar with the storyline and how this all, you know, mm-hmm. a Christmas story. Uh, there are some great actors scattered yeah. throughout this movie. And I think one person that everybody, when they see, besides Albert Finney, 
when they see the name Alec Guinness, you know, they're like, yeah. oh, Alec Guinness is in this movie, and he plays Jacob Marley, and this is one of the few times that I can ever, I, I, maybe the only time, where I saw Jacob Marley the second time, and, and Scrooge and him are down in hell. That I don't remember ever seeing that. That's unique to this film, yeah. That's unique to this film, it is. And that's, uh, you're talking about everybody's so familiar with the story, and they are, except for one scene uh, that uh, would catch them by surprise. And the thing, interesting thing is, um, they, when it started, during its run on television, before, you know, its VHS release, all those years on television, they would always cut that part out. And I don't think it had anything to do with it being that it said in hell. It's just they would, they used it to make it fit into the two hour uh, with commercials, normal TV movie running time. Uh, I, I and I to the point that I had become convinced that maybe I had just misremembered there being that scene because obviously it's it's pretty intense in the theater when you're seeing it, but then a few years down the road and I'm seeing it on television and I always had this image in my head of Scrooge walking around these caverns kind of thing. Uh, and then I think there was even a book released uh, that came out with about the book, you know, about the movie that had pictures from it that even showed something like that or a scene from that or picture from that scene, but they would cut it out on television. It's obvious why, because I was I was actually in, in just reading some reviews and more modern writings about this film, and I read I came across one online somebody who was writing very favorably about the film, but they were specifically talking about that scene, talking about how great that scene is, how well done the set design and how funny it is, and and uh, but also pointing out the fact that it doesn't it it it's it's kind of useless too in the sense that it doesn't really add anything to the story, and the story functions completely without it. It was not in the original. It's the only scene really segment that's not in the original Christmas Carol story or in any other versions. Um, and that's why also on television, I'm sure they found it easy to remove. I mean, you just got that out. It doesn't change the story at all, but the scene itself is so well done. And, and so finally, when it came out on VHS, I, saw, I was like, oh, I was not dreaming that part. It really, this, this was in the movie. I, I wasn't misremembering uh, this whole hell sequence, but, but you're right, Jacob, it is a shot of Jacob Marley that no other version has. Uh, and Alec Guinness is just, just chewing the scenery and just having a great time in this role. I mean, he's, and, and he's so, so funny in it. Uh, just, I never get tired of some of the bizarre choices he makes, uh, uh, you know, delivering some of the lines that he does. And the interesting thing is, I know in that scene, they make a big point about, oh, they made a special work room for you. And it's everybody, mm-hmm. you know, hell, everything he's, anybody would touch anything in hell. It's all hot until they get to mm-hmm. Ebenezer's room which is like Arctic cold, you know, it is just, yeah. it is just cold. He says, just, you'll be the only one that's cold in hell, you know? And, but <laughs> we all know, of course, you know, he was cheap and he never, he always kept everything really cold. And they were showing, you're seeing a lot with Bob Cratchit blowing on his hand or doing that. But this is one of the few versions where he didn't ask, like, can we have an extra, can we put extra coal in the thing? I don't remember him, you know, him, like you could see his, the actor doing it, but it was nothing in there that normally would be in these things about him complaining. Can we have a little mm-hmm. more? Cause I'm so cold and him mm-hmm. saying no. So I thought it, it was kind of interesting. So knowing the story so well, it didn't bother me, but I'm thinking if this was somebody's first watching of this classic tale, mm-hmm. it's probably needed just that extra line that set up just to, 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 to pay it off even more that he's in this cold room in hell because he made Bob Cratchit suffer. I mean, you can see Bob Cratchit suffering, but you don't realize how intentional it is from Scrooge, from this viewing. I mean, you know, from this movie where in other ones, it, it, it spells it out 
obviously. And, I, and you and I have seen those other ones, and we know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think that that whole uh, the whole thing sequence between Cratchit and Scrooge <clears throat> does a great job visually of conveying their relationship and this whole uh, in a way that you know obviously most of the dialogue they're speaking is lifted directly from the original story but their delivery of it and again what you see happening there um, is uh, you know the obvious code you get the impression that this entire scene is a ritual they go through every Christmas you know Bob Cratchit having to basically be begged to be let go you know uh, you know when he says it's seven o'clock you know closing time and 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 albert finney just sits there and listens to every bell toll like he's counting them to make sure that that scratch is correct and making him kind of jump through these hoops he, you know it's kind of like you know ultimately he's going to give him christmas day off but he's going to torture him before he'll agree to do it he's going to make him feel so bad and make him have to practically beg to be let off and and if it was a fun fun thing too is I don't know if you paid attention to uh, when when uh, Albert Finney is giving him his day's wages, you know, and his wages for the day he's not going to work. How many times he counts that money? He counts it like four or five times and during the course of that scene, you know, and getting it out of the safe, getting it in the Cratchit's hands, and he counts it every single time. And and talking about the cold, you know, the lack of heat in there. That once then it's followed by Scrooge going home, and you realize that you, you at least can't say that Scrooge. Uh, you know, Scrooge doesn't allow himself these comforts either, really. I mean, you can make the case that, yeah, he's rich and Bob Cratchit's poor, but one thing about Scrooge, it's not like he goes home and he's living in some kind of luxury. I mean, he really doesn't. Uh, he he, he kind of suffers the cold and even in his own home, he just, you know, because it's it's all, all that money he saves, he's not spending it. I mean, a lot of ways he's as poor as Bob Cratchit when it comes to how much money you're actually going to, how much money you're spending because he doesn't spend it because he just, he can't, you know, he, 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 he can't part with it. So he, he suffers a lot. He, he doesn't, and allow himself any luxuries either. Yeah, and then I thought a nice thing with Cratchit and two of his children is they go shopping for the Christmas food and gifts and uh, how he's interacting with the different townspeople and how you see the other townspeople interacting with the same clerk. So you'll see, like, in one scene, somebody's buying this more expensive bubbly and he's getting the the – uh, the the knockoff version, you know, whatever, you yeah. know, the, the dollar store mm-hmm. <laughs> type stuff, mm-hmm. and it, and it's 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 done so well, but yet he's so upbeat and so positive for the children, you know, with him. It's yeah. just amazing how you could just tell his heart is so pure. Yeah, he's a great character, and the guy that plays him does a great job. And you're right; it's like I said earlier. That's really kind of his whole job is to just keep his family's spirits up. You know, there was no. There was no class movement in in London at that time. I mean, there was no, you know, generally your prospects of, um, you know, he's always going to be poor. They're always going to be poor. You know, the main thing is just to keep his, you know, help his kids keep his spirits up and hope that they manage to go out in the world and not have and not end up on the streets or his daughters as prostitutes or all the things that was, you know, going to happen, you know, to so many people in that uh poor people at time and that sequence you're talking about is great the way it, it does it does a wonderfully seamless job of, of contrasting the people who are you know wealthy and but everybody seems to be you know there's a celebration of the street that you feel that christmas spirit but it still shows you you know that there's a dividing line between between the, the harsh dividing line between the, the rich and the poor here yeah, david collins does an excellent job playing bob cratchit and um he does yeah. and, and, and oh i have to ask you yo go ahead Oh no, you go. I'm sorry. I just I, something I meant to say a minute ago when you're talking about the Cratchit family. I've always 
or the last few years since the Harry Potter series came out. And I don't know how familiar you are with, with the Harry Potter films or know pretty well, but I've always wondered if the we if the Weasley family was inspired by the look of the Cratchit family here, you know, for the person that people that wrote, because they're, they're just, every time I see them with all their red hair and, and, uh, it, it, you know, I just wondered if visually if, uh, you know, I haven't read the Harry Potter books, actually. I've just watched the movie, so I don't know if in the books they're described as, as being all red-headed family, but I just wondered if the author, you know, grew up watching this film and if they had any kind of inspiration on, on how the, the Weasley family looks in the Harry Potter films. In the book, they're red-headed, if I remember correctly. So that would have been J.K. Rowling, you know. So did, it, And it could very well have been. You know, she is... Um, I think around your age or maybe a little like a year or two older. So it would have been something that she would have saw probably many times growing up as a youngster. Yeah. And you know, that could have had a subconscious effect. It might not have been intentional, but it could have been unintentional. I mean, that'd be an interesting thing to ask, ask her, you know, like, Oh, did this have an effect? And who knows? I mean, there's so many Potter fans out there that um, contact her and she has these different forums or whatever and, and responds back that it might have already been answered. Somebody might have asked that already, but mm-hmm. who knows? You could have, yeah, you could have yeah. struck something uh, different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, I would like to, to see if that question has been asked or to find a way to, yeah, to ask her that. So yeah, just have my own curiosity ever since those movies came out. I've had that, I've wondered about that. And I thought it was, what's nice about it is you see, Bob Cratchit and his children interacting with all the clerks in the town mm-hmm. square. And then of course that's shortly after that is when I hate people and Ebenezer Scrooge comes out and has his interactions with everybody. So you had that great 180 contrast between these two personalities going out there and, and, and doing it, which again, the, I think the filmmaker, you know, does, you know, Ronald Neem does a great job of, showing these different things and the, and the way the script was written was just so nicely done. And then of course you brought up the cinematography earlier with Oswald Morris, you know, doing such nice shots and they were so fortunate to be able to get the same sets that Oliver had, because that's one thing, you know, you're able to use money in other things. It depends on what the budget was given to it. And you could see that they did it, you know, and did use the money. This, this, This film feels expensive. You know, it feels like you can tell money was put in places. It's not cheap. Yeah. One of the greatest scenes is that, uh, I just always, I'm never getting tired of seeing it. So visually stunning is the, uh, when Scrooge opens the door to find the ghost from a Christmas present in his stand, you know, sitting atop his just, you know, hill of mound of, of just incredible Christmas, you know, these, this incredible Christmas feast, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, it's to go from, that gray drabness of, of Scrooge's home to open, you know, other rest of his house to open the door onto this just glowing. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a Christmas card come to life, but it's all the things you love about Christmas. You know, it's just in this one scene, suddenly the whole film just, it's like, it just comes to life in a, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, cause it's one of the things that I think, that I think this film does so well. And I know the story does it and it's inherent in the story, but again, so many versions, I don't think quite exploit it to the, the way that this film does is how perfectly it follows mood after mood without being jarring. Uh, because the, the film really captures all the moods, all the kind of basic emotions and, and of the, the story. And, but they follows them so well. If you have a really scary sequence, it's followed by something humorous, followed by something sad, something, you know, and, 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 and then, and hearing, you know, we've just come off Scrooge 
Scrooge's sequence with the Ghost of Christmas Past, which is a very sad sequence, you know, about how he lost his love and how he kind of lost his humanity, followed by this really, really funny sequence with the Ghost of Christmas Present, you know. And even within that sequence, we have sad things followed immediately by by fun, like when Scrooge and he and Scrooge are discussing, you know, Tiny Tim's impending, you know, most likely going to die of this illness that he has, you know, followed by the very funny sequence of Scrooge going to see his nephew's Christmas party. So I just think the the film just really kind of not only uh, is, is, as I said before about the film, you know, when I'm talking it up to someone who hasn't seen it, I say it's, it does all of its duties so well as far as what the story's supposed to do. It's, 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 scary as hell where it should be you know the 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 ghost sequences and you know the ghost of christmas future and that's very ominous and and you know the that was one that had me and my cousin cowering in our seats like i said (laughs) uh it's scary where it should be it's it's funny where it should be it's it's heartbreaking where it should be and it's ultimately redeeming and and joyful you know in all the right measures i think that's you know that's 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 what i always feel that coming away from this film it's kind of like an emotional roller coaster ride but that's part of redemption and that's part of it's kind of like the film. I always feel like the film kind of puts me through the ringer in the way that it puts Scrooge through the ringer, or all of us. You know, when we're coming to the end of the year and just feel we can do better next year. You know, and 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 uh, the next year and want to do better. And so watching the film, and that's probably why I, that's a big part of why it's not only my favorite film, but why it stayed part of my viewing every year is what the sheer act of watching it is almost like a cleansing for me, like a like a like a my own personal, you know, putting me through the, the all those emotional things and, and most of which we experience every year, you know, that in one way or another, to one degree or another, and just kind of like leave it feeling kind of refreshed, you know, ready to, ready to, as Scrooge says, you know, ready to begin again. Yeah. And that's the thing with, um, when he meets Kenneth Moore playing the ghost of Christmas present and mm-hmm. going back to your, your um, Harry Potter thing, of course, he's built like a Hagrid type character, you know, he's <laughs> Like a yeah, giant, yeah, like sure. a mini giant, so to speak, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, and, and how you and I like how they did that with the with stilts, um, forced perspective, and everything else to make him so much more towering than Albert Finney, uh, and and how they pulled that off it was it was very good setting of the stage mm-hmm. and the cinematography, and it's like I said, I like life. It's just it's just it's just one of those songs. It just it goes with you because it's. Ebenezer Scrooge, the sins of man are huge. A never-ending symphony of villainy and infamy, duplicity, deceit, and subterfuge. And no one's worse than Ebenezer Scrooge. No man's a handy candidate for hell. I must admit, life sometimes has its brighter side as well. I like life, life likes me, life and I fairly fully agree. Life is fine, life is good, especially mine which is just as it should be. I like pouring the wine, and why not? Life's a pleasure that I deny not. I like life here and now. Life and I made a mutual vow. Till I die, life and I, we'll both try to be better somehow. 
And if life were a woman, she would be my wife. Why? Why? Because I like life. That's all very well for you, but not for me. I hate life. Scrooge, you're an even bigger fool than I took you for. Now you listen to me. I like life. Well, go on. I like life. That's better. Life likes me. Life likes me. Good, good. I make life a perpetual spree. Perpetual spree. Eating food. Drinking wine. Thinking who would like the privilege to dine me. I like drinking the drink I'm drinking. That's better, Scrooge. I like thinking the thoughts I'm thinking. I like songs. I like dance. I hear music and I'm in a trance. Tra-la-la. Chance is how we should get up and dance. Well, there's music and love to have in this right. Why? Why? He's giving Scrooge booze, basically wine and uh, yeah. you know, and that yeah. kind of stuff. And, no humankind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Scrooge, as he as he as he's partaking of this milk of happiness or wine, whatever you want to look at it, he's getting more and more happy, more and more in the spirit of Christmas present. And yeah. I find it interesting as their interaction goes back and forward, how there's times when Scrooge basically starts to sober up, so to speak, or, you know, starts to default. And he's just like, hold on, we're not going to have you drink this. I need you to see this. I need you to be like, you know, be sober for this. And then he's like other times, Oh, now drink, you know, and uh, it's starting to get a little dour um, from it. And I thought that was, it it was interesting um, usage of the, the ghost of Christmas presents magic, so to speak, his magic Mm -hmm. elixir. Of, mm-hmm. of trying to fix the things. But I, I, I like that out of the three ghosts, I think the ghost of Christmas presents interaction is, and the song is the best. Obviously the ghost of Christmas yet to come doesn't have a song, doesn't talk. Right, sure. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and it does have that scariness and everything else. But Edith Evans does also an excellent job of the ghost of Christmas past. So, but before we get to her, yeah. what, do you, what do you, anything else you want to talk about the ghost of Christmas present? Um, I mean, we probably already covered it all just, you know, but certainly, I mean, Kenneth Moore is just fantastic. Yeah. So just his delivery lines are, 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 are just hilarious and, and, uh, he's very effective. Uh, their interplay is just great. He and Finney. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, I think he is the most, you know, that is, that is maybe to me, uh, the highlight of the film is the sequence. I mean, I, I, I love so much, all the film, but I think that that, if you had to break it down in sequences, you know, probably the, the, the best one is the is the ghost of Christmas present that that is is just really really well done well written, and you know they make Scrooge not a you know I, I like the film 
far as like that, the film doesn't make Scrooge an easy sell on on this stuff. I mean, I think that there are some versions of Christmas Carol where he's not quite as portrayed as miserly. He always sometimes just comes up more like kind of a doddering old grandfather who's just you know who's just kind of a curmudgeon, you know. And and Finney, the way he portrays him and the way the character is is written here is is very uh he's he's not a likable person. He is deeply deeply bitter and 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 uh and so it's a it's a it's a hard task to pull him up out of this darkness and so the ghosts really have to work for it as they should and uh and i think that's conveyed in the as you said the fact that he has to kind of keep prodding him with the drink and then and, and getting him to get out of he's quickly to go bitter again and uh so yeah um but yeah it's a great sequence i like it when he's at his nephew's party with the, with yeah. the ghost and the more scrooge starts to enjoy the party the more disinterested the ghost gets and to the point <laughs> yeah. where he basically he's almost falling asleep or falling asleep during it. You're like, what? what? Yeah. What's going? and Scrooge is having the best time of his life. And the, and the ghost Chris presence like, Oh yeah, I made it through this, but <laughs> it was, good. Yeah. that was, that was funny. I, I just thought it was an interesting contrast. Now it's a, the more Scrooge is interested, the, the more the ghost of Christmas mm-hmm. present is bored out of his wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Again, it's part of that great performance. But Kenneth Moore, just I love the line where he talks about how he comes down to visit this puny planet. I mean, he sounds like a Marvel supervillain at one point there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's he's just, he's a great character. He really is. And then and then you think about it because he says about how many brothers does he have, or how many Christmases has there been, mm-hmm. and you know, basically he adds them up. So it's it's like he's it's like almost like he's alive for one day. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's, well, it's really been, sad. Yeah, and there's been uh, there have been versions of uh, of uh, the story where they do have uh, both vis- both uh, live action and animated. Where I've seen where they kind of convey that more that the, he gets older. They didn't really do that with this version, but I've seen versions where he starts with dark hair and, and a younger. He's always you know big and boisterous in his robe, but he uh, by the time they get to the end of the sequence, he's he's white, you know, he's an old man, you know, so in just that, that it really visually shows you that he, he's just aging as, as they're speaking there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, generally that's the idea of the ghost. Yeah, he just has a year to live, a year to exist. It's so sad, you know, it's so, it's so ephemeral, you know, like uh, as an experience. And I guess that goes back to the whole Christmas thing. Christmas is one day. It's, it's just, Mm-hmm. a day a day of the year where it can bring happiness whether you believe in certain things mm-hmm. or not it's it's like it's it's, it's a one day of a celebration of the of the good things that humanity mm-hmm. could have so what so i think that's the part that even some religions you know some people other religions that don't believe in christmas still celebrate christmas because of that aspect of the goodness yeah. and the humanity coming together and the camaraderie of the whole thing. And of course, sadly now there's that huge commercialization, which is still shown even in this film, you know, with the, the yeah. toys oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, but it is, it, but it is like one day where you can forget your burdens and leave the and leave those other rest of those days of the year behind. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's one of the, the reason that Christmas Carol, the story of Dickens and, and this movie conveys that too, is uh, I think one of the reasons it effectively works for so many people is that it doesn't get, too deeply into the religious background of the of the holiday and so it makes it more accessible to just yeah as a secular kind of work as well you know and that's uh, because you think about it nobody there's really very little talk of 
having, you know, obviously now this film has the hell sequence. And so that kind of contrasts what I kind of contradicts what I'm just saying there, you know, and that this one kind of gets in that sense is probably one of the more has that sequence itself. But otherwise, it kind of follows along the line of Dickens' story. Dickens is very much a humanist. And I think he wrote that story to be accessible with what people can do for each other, you know, instead of putting the the burden on all of, you know, of, of your religious beliefs to, to make it work. And, and I think visually in this, this film, something I've always noticed at the very last when the crowd's having their big celebration and they're all dancing through the streets. Okay. They come upon, we have this scene at the last that takes place outside of church and people are getting out of church and there's that choir singing there and they're singing one song and the crowd comes in singing the other song and the crowd kind of sweeps the, you know, the, the, the choir boys into their, you know, into their song and, and, in a way, it's kind of a almost kind of a subversive. Like they, they sort of break up. They sort of uh, um, take over, dominate the 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 uh, more religious, you know, uh, singing there, or at least the singing from a, a, a group of people that's associated with Christianity. And he brings up the question. I always ask, like, okay, why weren't all these people in church? You know, I mean, they've you know, again, they've kind of they're out in the streets. It kind of makes you kind of conveys in a visual sense that maybe these people have lost a lot of their spirituality because of the 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 conditions they've been living in and scrooge by his actions has has kind of re you know he's kind of brought back the joy up in them again you know and and so i think that that maybe kind of one reason why it all takes place that last scene that whole dancing there is why they concluded that scene of people getting out of church and and just kind of being swept up in the crowd the whole crowd the whole like these are religious people not religious people people are in church people not they're all together now celebrating you know, so I think that that's that this that's I think this film does a, a more than a lot of versions kind of also underscores that uh, the whole human you know the secular power of this work that it that it doesn't it's not too heavy handed with with religious imagery or or really you know to to show that everybody once again everybody can be redeemed whether you know regardless of their beliefs just on this day choose this day to be you know be good to one another and it's what people can do for each other. Thank you very much, that's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. The future looks so right, in fact it looks so bright, 
I feel as if they're polishing the sun for me. I'm not arguing any of that point. I, I think when they they come in and they're singing um, Father Christmas slash Thank You Very Much the, the, when they put both the songs together, I think they're singing at that point Thank You Very Much as they're coming down the, t- the, the street. Yeah. And yeah. I, I forgot yeah. what Christmas type song, the carol or whatever the choir is singing. I think they're doing that sing a, sing a Christmas carol, sing a Christmas, which I don't, I think may also been, may have also been written for this film. Like, I don't think it was one of the, I'm not sure that it was a traditional uh, traditional hymn. Uh, don't think it is. I think it was part of the original. It's a nice little bit of music too, but it's kind of a choral, kind of almost like a round, kind of, you know what I'm talking about. I think they're doing that one, I believe. And you're right, the thank you very much kind of comes in and sort of sweet. You know, suddenly the choir boys are all in with the crowd, you know, and, and kind of, you know, singing their song. And I think what the filmmaker is probably trying to get across is everybody should be celebrating together. Don't be yeah, separate, yeah. be together. And I think, you know, don't be separated by religion. Don't be separated by your different things. Just come together. And for this one day, for this, this one moment, we can all be one and, and, yeah. and, and help each other. I think, and then I think that we brought up, as you brought up in particular, that's like the message of the film of the story mm-hmm. is, you know, so you can take it out of the religious context and put it into that. Um, we're, we've been remiss about bringing up one of the spirits, Edith Evans, the ghost of Christmas yeah. past. And um, mm-hmm. so I wanted to let you talk a little bit of her. Cause I thought, I thought she was interesting with her body language her especially her eyes, mm-hmm. her eyes kept yeah. drawing. I kept getting drawn to her eyes, the way she had this certain look in her face. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, I thought she was a great choice too, you know, and there's, there's a nice little bit of, of, nice little bits of humor between her and, and, and Scrooge. But uh, I, I think that she, you know, uh, you know, she plays that well, and that scene is is so uh, well done. You get a little insight into Scrooge, you know, as a boy, you know, and then shows that you know that he, for whatever reason, and we're not, we know that obviously he's not had a good relationship with his father, you know, and and uh, but but he does with his sister, and and but he's uh, for whatever reason he's not included uh, in these 
these children's celebrations, which are so much, I mean, that's really well done too. And not something you see in a lot of Christmas movies is, is these, these kids, you know, and all their, almost looks like a Halloween sequence when they're coming by and their carriages are all dressed in costumes. Uh, but even the, the look again, amazing cinematography because the look of that whole sequence is also, especially with the kids, it does have kind of a dreamlike haunting quality to it. When she's saying these are, these are just the shadows of what, of what have been, as what has been um, in some animated version, there's, there's an animated version of the, 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 the film where it kind of really as the way that Dickens describes the ghost that that constantly is morphing between a, uh, from a young girl to a uh, mature woman to a, an, an elderly woman you know there's some animated version that show that obviously they couldn't do that here but I think the choice of her as the ghost was as was was I think a, a good one there it was a, you know it worked really well and she's yeah she's great in the role she really is oh yeah I, I just looked mm-hmm <laughs> Calm down. I have to make a note. 106, Milo starts to get feisty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think our, I think yeah, we're starting to they're they're like saying, Hey, you guys are running too long. Give us attention here. <laughs> no, I think there might be, you know, he hears some noise and he probably wants to go investigate. But then he's if I get him there, he's gonna start barking. All right. Uh no, I, I really like the way they wardrobed her, you know, and had her, she was like the prim and proper spirit, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and I thought that mm-hmm. was yeah. nice how, you know, you go back in time and how she was asking like, well, why you were like this and why did you change to that? You know? So she was asking some of those questions, which were left most for the most part, kind of unanswered by verbal, which I think is great when you're mm-hmm. watching the film is that you don't need to speak it when you can see it. And yeah. this is where we have Albert Finney being you know, his normal age. These are the scenes. Mm-hmm. And he really doesn't say a lot. A lot of it is he doesn't, I mean, he sings a couple little things here, but he really it's mostly everybody else. And he is a silent character. And you're just seeing his mm-hmm. acting through his facial expressions, through his other aspects. And you and the hurt in his face and his body language from yeah. other things that have happened happen and then then of course there's the turn where his fiance shows up and releases him because you've you've gone to another mistress which was money of course you know for listeners that don't know <laughs> and yeah. and how your, your your heart is changed and that kind of thing and she's like it'll hurt you now but you won't remember later you know it'll just be a passing of the thing and and in part of him, you can tell in his older stage, if he wants things to have changed, it's like, oh, wait, don't be a fool. Yeah. Get up, chase her, go after yeah. her. And they, it never happens. It was never meant to be because, you know, it's, it's, if not, we yeah. wouldn't have the movie we do. He would be a different man. And we, we all, yeah. And we all know, and we all kind of know what those moments are like, you know, where we wish we could go back to our younger selves and kind of yell at it. But as Scrooge sees himself, there's nothing he can do. And what she conveys, and she's, it's probably her, her portrayal is kind of this, um, matronly almost school teacher is kind of, of uh, figure there is, you know, is, is kind of this unyielding, she's not unsympathetic, but she's also just kind of firm with him. Like, you know, you made these, you know, these can't be changed. You made the, you know, you, you, you did this and, and, and we're going to look at it again. You're going to have to revisit them. You know, you can't bury them. You try and bury them, but uh, this is what you did. And this is what you, what you lost. And, and I think that you're right. Getting back to while Finney portrays it, you know, that he, we see throughout that even at the point where, he is has the most love in his life, you know, between you know his his fiance and her parents, you know, and have the most people at his, you know, supporting him. And inside, you can 
tell that he's just too damaged from whatever went on. You know, there's something inside him, even in the scenes where they're out on their little pastoral picnics, there's something in his face that he's just not totally present there. You know, there's something troubled. It's almost like there was something there at one time, but now he's like a robot going through the motions. And right. Right. it's just like, oh, yes, of course. We, you know, this is the way it is supposed to be. This is the, you know, and it's he's following mm-hmm. his programming. And mm-hmm. and when she brings the, and rejects him and brings the ring back, it's it's like he doesn't know what to do. It's like his program is like this. This isn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to be married. We're what is going on? You know, it's like it totally. He it's like it like it does not compute. It's almost like the old Star Trek episode. You know, you can almost see the steam coming yeah. out of his ear. Yeah. Like uh, programming <laughs> is totally rattled and thrown off. And you know, it's, I like that look in his face. And of course, there are scenes where you got the Albert Finney with makeup and without makeup in the same scenes together. And of course, they're yeah. using the um, tram- camera tr- trickery. But there are some scenes I think they had to use a body double because you can just tell when the body doubles yeah. is back is to them. The way you can just when you're watching it for listeners that are watching closely, it doesn't take much. You can tell there's a little difference. It, they mm-hmm. hide it very well. But you can see it just yeah. because the quality it's just it's just there, there's like a little thing there. Now maybe back in nineteen seventy it was even less noticeable than it would be nowadays with things being able to seem so much clearer and better and being mm-hmm. cleaned up with technology. But it, it would have been interesting. I mean you saw it, but you were very young. Yeah. So I'm sure you never even noticed like you said, you didn't even know Albert Finney was playing both roles. So. No, I thought it was yeah, I thought yeah, just the same to his two different actors, yeah. Yeah, so I'd be curious to talk to somebody that saw it in 1970 that would know, like you know, and see, yeah. and see like, would you able to pick this up? And that's a, it's a, kind of a obscure little thing, but I think overall the movie's excellently filmed, very well acted. I enjoyed most of the songs. Some of them very well, but a lot of them I enjoyed a lot. And it keeps things moving along, the, the atmosphere, the crowd thing. There's only really one song that I could. I can go without hearing again, but you know, nowadays with streaming and other stuff or D or Blu-rays, you can just, you can just fast forward that little tiny sugary part or, (laughs) and and tiny Tim's part even gets tinier, but it's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I will say that I did get a little treat a few years ago, a theater uh, here close to Nashville actually showed Scrooge at, at December on the big screen. So I did get to finally see it on the big screen again. And I was very, uh, it was a great experience. I'm hoping they'll do it again sometime. I, I wouldn't imagine why they wouldn't because the place was packed. I mean, it sold out and, uh, and the crowd seemed to be having a great time. And I, you know, I was encouraged to see, I was, a lot of the kids, you know, there seemed to be like knowing the songs and knowing the really into it. And, and so I, I was, you know, thinking that again, thinking that the film is finding it's kind of following, you know, finding it. And certainly it's a, it's a go-to for, Again, as I said before, I've shown it to to friends before, and and uh, you know we who who it's become one of their favorites as well. And I want to actually, I should say, real really right here, I meant to say that um, two people I just want to mention, Rod, you know, my podcast, my Nashy Cast and Bloody Pit uh, podcast partner, Rod Barnett, and another friend of ours named John Davis are uh, the three of us have watched this film so many times over the years and analyzed it and talked about it. So some of the things I've said, and over the, that we've come to the point where I, I'm not even sure what insights are mine and what insights are theirs. And so I want to mention their names because there could have been some things I said in this episode 
that I passed off as my analysis that might have actually originally been discovered or, you know, by those guys. So I just want to like, uh, but it's been too many years now, you know, to uh, to remember for sure. So I just want to say to Rod and John, you know, that uh, thanks for, uh, uh, just want to say I've given you credit. And also, uh, um, I believe there's an early, early episode. I don't know what number, but uh, I know Rod on the Bloody Pit, I think did an episode on Scrooge as well that I was not able to participate in, but it's him and John Davis and, uh, uh, I think, uh, and then our friend Ryan Reed, and I believe, uh, I think it's uh, one of the early episodes. So if anybody wants to go and check out what they have to say about it too, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I think you can find that in the Bloody Pit archives as well. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rod did Scrooge 1970, knowing that it was your fa- all, all, what, your favorite film. Oh, and, oh uh, and, yeah, I'm and, sure. And no I'm Troy? Sure oh, cold for you, Rod, cold for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. He just, you know, he just likes to torment me that way. You know, he just, I was like, the, I was, I was like Scrooge outside wiping the frost off the glass, looking in on them, you know, and their Christmas glow there. They had, you know, not being able to, you know, but uh, no, it's, I'm, I'm sure that I was invited and probably just because of my crazy, I probably had a gig or something, you know, my crazy life or whatever. For some reason, I was not able to join in. And so, so thank you, Stephen, for finally giving me a chance to push those guys out of the way. They're at the glass tapping to get in and you and I are in our Christmas glow, uh, enjoying talking about this movie. Well, thank you. And for listeners that have been listening to this, Interspaced, besides December the 25th being the first song up before we started, I put in, I hate people and I like life. And at this point, I'm going to put in the, the, the reprise of Father Christmas slash Thank You Very Much because we talked about both those songs. And um, I'm going to thank you for joining me and that kind of stuff. So if you're going to hear that song. And now, Troy, I, I want to thank you again. I thought Thank You Very Much was a nice song that you know, ex- exit our conversation with because, I mean, it's appropriate. And I want to thank also all the yeah. listeners you know, for listening in this year and uh, and the other years and, and hopefully enjoying the podcast and sharing and that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, we just like movies and we're movie enthusiasts. And it's just one of the things that's nice when you get a chance to talk about it and people get to listen and give us feedback on it. So I want to thank you for that. And also I wanted to talk to you about the secret Commonwealth. We, you mentioned it earlier, one of your bands. And um, so what's going up with the secret Commonwealth? Well, the Secret Commonwealth is uh, we're you know we're 30 years on now, and uh, we've uh, we next year next St. Patrick's Day will be our 31st anniversary. So we just keep chugging along. We're putting the final touches on the recording of our fifth album, um, uh, which will hopefully be out in the first half of next year. Um, and uh, we you can find our music on you know we're on all the streaming sites, YouTube, Spotify, you know, Apple Music. Uh, if you'd like to buy our CDs, uh, we have a Bandcamp page for that. Uh, if you're in the southeast area, you might catch us on. Uh, we 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 do some road road gigs in the southeast. They usually haven't had a chance to really tour or play outside of that, but uh, you know there's always hope. But yeah, that's there's that, and and uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of my. Uh, it's been the biggest band, obviously the biggest musical uh, focus of my life, you know. But I do keep a foot in the rock and roll world too, because that's where I started. I started out. My first bands were you know punk bands and that sort of thing. So I've got a band that plays a uh, garage rock music and, you know, some punk music and horror, horror themed things called the, the band is called the exotic ones. And that's been together for quite a few years now too. And in fact, we're, as we're recording this, Stephen, uh, tomorrow night we're playing i I'm sorry, no, tonight, actually tonight, actually we're playing a show uh, in Nashville uh, where we're going to be playing some Christmas themed rock, uh, some Christmas themed rock and roll songs. So obscure ones, you know, and some ones that people know we're doing the kinks, father Christmas. Uh, we're, you know, people know that we're doing a, 
the old 97 song, uh, you know, I don't know what Christmas is that people, you know, probably a lot of people have seen in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. But then we're doing some really obscure, you know, punk punk band songs, uh, a lot of them not 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 more more along the lines of I hate people, you know, some some not so happy Christmas songs, but uh, but fun. Uh, so we're doing that tonight. So, yeah, so that's some of my little musical adventures there. Well, have fun doing that. I want to thank you again. And um, this yeah. is when Troy and I are done recording, him and I are going to roll the dice again to see what his next genre is to pick up so we know where he, he'll be picking from for next year in 2024. And, Troy, you recommended that one, there's, the Secret Commonwealth has a Christmas song, The Sea Road Home. And he, you said we, you gave us permission to play the song at the end of the episode. Um, what, what's the story about The Sea Road Home and how it got created? Yeah, when we uh, in 1995, when we had only been a band for a couple of years, but we were learning Irish and Scottish music, and we had a lot of bands that were uh, our influences. Uh, right now, I just want to say rest in peace, Shane McGowan of the Pogues, who just passed. I was the Pogues was our very first. I mean, without the Shane McGowan, there wouldn't be a Secret Commonwealth because what got uh, I heard the Pogues and uh, myself and Jack Daves and Rob Campbell, uh, who were the founders of Secret Commonwealth, along with me. We got it. Getting into the Pogues is what led us to get into traditional Irish music and 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 formed secret commonwealth uh but there was a scottish band called old blind dogs uh in fact they're still around too i believe as far as i know at least as a few years ago they were but they were touring and we brought them to nashville uh and uh opened for them a great one still one of the highlight of our our playing experiences they were great guys and we just had a great night but they were this is in early december of 95 and they were going to be going back home you know to scotland after their tour shortly after that and so jack dave's um got in the started getting his head the idea of, of these guys going back returning back to scotland uh walking you know coming home from crew for christmas and wrote lyrics for that and rob and i put the music to it and uh so yeah and we kind of dedicated it to old blind dogs and it's on our first album which is just called the secret commonwealth but the, yeah the song's called the sea road home and uh so yeah that's uh that's that's a kind of our original original little christmas cut there and like you said, it's on Spotify. It's on a lot of different things. But if you do go to Bandcamp to buy it, do they still do? Is it the, like that? That first Friday, you guys? It's like yeah, the, there the, are the, what the, they call Bandcamp. Friday. Yeah, there yeah. is. I think a first Friday that they call Bandcamp Fridays. And if you buy our music on that on that day, we get a bigger percentage than we do through normally through Bandcamp. Uh, uh, Bandcamp waves its a lot of its percentage that it makes off the sales that they go to the to go to the band. So so yeah, if you want to wait for the next. Uh, Bandcamp Friday and go check out our Secret Commonwealth uh, page and also my exotic ones. The exotic ones have a page there as well. Yeah, so you can listen to it for free and if you enjoy, it, support the artist on uh, the first Friday in January and uh, go mm-hmm. out and um, get it. And that way you can enjoy because I think the first Friday would be the fifth, probably the sixth. I think the first Friday is January sixth. I think it's the fifth, actually. Fifth. I believe. Of 20, 2024, I believe. I believe oh, yeah, Friday. I was, I was looking at Saturday. Yeah, January 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Saturday for some reason. Because I, I, I counted out to it. I'm like, okay. And I, but I want one extra day. I want the Saturday. Yeah, you're correct. It is January 5th. So, yeah, January 5th. Go there, and, and that'll help them get a little extra cha-ching so they can make more music. Yeah, yeah. We do appreciate it. Thank you, folks. And I hope you, regardless of what you do, we just hope you go out there and find us and listen to our music and enjoy it. And thank you, Stephen, for having me. I've just been great. Thank you for letting me talk about my all-time favorite movie. 
Are you welcome? I did something that Rod would not let you do. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you are my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know who my, who my friends are, who my best friend, new best friend is. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, if you did enjoy this movie, please send us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our fake Facebook page. Feel free to share it and all that other stuff. And if you're listening to this on a podcast catch podcast catcher, boy, I'd say that three times fast. Um, <laughs> You can, you know, follow, hit the follow button, and that way when new episodes come out, you'll know right away. Because as always, the podcast is free. Thanks, everybody. And again, I hope everybody's having a Merry Christmas, and I hope everybody has a Happy New Year. Thanks again. I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. And again, I hope everybody's having a great Christmas day or enjoy whatever holiday you're celebrating. I want to thank Troy again for joining me, and I'm looking forward to doing episodes with him next year. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, please send it to us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. And as Troy and I talked about, we're going to end the episode with The Sea Road Home, the Christmas song from The Secret Commonwealth, one of Troy's groups. Hope everybody enjoys it. And again, Merry Christmas. wind blows from the darkened sky and for the first time since I was a child Christmas lightens my heart as I think of the light in your eyes Lying on the sea road home, my dear I've taken the sea road home Christmas and New Year will be washed by glad tears I'll never again Gentle like a soft falling snow And for the first time in weeks it seems Life lightens my heart As I pass by the cottages with windows aglow I'm on the sea road home, my dear I've taken the sea road home Christmas and New Year will be washed by glad tears And I'll never again leave you alone
Glad to be